We do appreciate knowing that you all are here praying for us because our little congregation in Mochicawi down there in Mexico is praying for you. They don't pray for Redemption Hill. They pray for Monte de Redención, but God knows who they're praying for, and uh, they send their greetings to you, and they've had an opportunity to know your pastor in times past. We've had Will down even this year, and uh, there's a special connection that we have with you. And so it's a blessing for us to be here this morning to worship the Lord with you and, and to have this opportunity to share the pulpit ministry of my brother. And as I was thinking about what to share with this congregation and what might be a blessing and, and a help to you, and in my determination to preach Christ and His gospel, this morning, I was, I was drawn to a passage to preach this morning from Paul's magnificent treatise on the gospel, that is, the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 1, beginning in the very first verse, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in, his Holy Scripture, in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to look into your word and have you address us through your spirit. Just pray, Lord, that you would grant your grace to, to me as I communicate what you have allowed me to study and that you would grant your grace to those that have gathered here, that your spirit might minister your word to them, that we might all be challenged, exhorted, and encouraged as you see fit, and that we might together continue to serve you in the places where you have placed us more effectively so that your name might be lifted up for the glory of Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen. What well, the very heart of missions is the gospel. Missions involves proclaiming the gospel in order that the Spirit of God might use the message to bring people of every tribe and every tongue into the obedience by faith for the purpose of exalting Jesus Christ our Lord. We really can't think about missions without first thinking about the Great Commission given by our Lord to His disciples and continued throughout the church age by the local church. The Great Commission in Matthew 28. Many of you probably know this by heart. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But by the authority of Christ, we are to make disciples of Jesus. Through the proclamation of the gospel and the ongoing teaching of God's word, those who once were spiritually dead in their trespasses and sin are granted spiritual life in Christ. And then they identify publicly as Christ's disciples through baptism and go on to learn and obey His will as it is taught from His Word. And since baptism is given as an ordinance of the local church, we understand that this great commission involves the reproduction of Bible teaching, Christ-exalting, believer-edifying, and lost-evangelizing, disciple-making local churches. Because of this, Countryside chose to devote itself to the mission of training up, sending out, and supporting of church-planting pastors in order that churches can be established in the obedience to this great commission of our Lord. Sending men like Pastor J.D. to establish churches like Redemption Hill. God calls some to plant churches and then move on to plant and establish other churches. And God calls others to plant churches and then to stay and to pastor those churches, which will then become places from where future church planting pastors will be equipped and sent. Redemption Hill is a young church. But it's not too early to start thinking about the fact that God will one day call men from within this body 
to the pastorate. And even some of those men will become missionary church planting pastors to lead others in the establishment of other churches in the same way that Pastor J.D. was called to lead a team here and was used to, that was used to establish this church. So this morning, I'd like to hear, I would like for us to hear from the Apostle Paul. And I'd like to, to look at the text, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, through the missionary lens of the Apostle Paul, a model missionary church planter. And I trust that we'll be encouraged and challenged by our Lord concerning the role that each of us has. Every single one of us in, has been called to be involved in carrying out our parts in obedience by faith to the great commission of our Lord. But, but this is more than a message for missionaries. More than a message for missionaries who serve in the formal sense, those who serve as church planting pastors. This is a passage for all of us here this morning, as we each serve as missionaries among our family members, our neighbors, fellow students, co-workers, in the various mission fields in which we have been placed. This is a message about Christ and His gospel. Because central to everything in the ministry of missions, as it is in the church, is Jesus Christ and the gospel. Because central to everything is the gospel, we will be focusing on the gospel this morning. So as we look at the centrality of the gospel message, which is found at the heart of missions, verse 1 of our text tells us concerning this it speaks to us concerning the messenger of missions, first of all. Paul served a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. As we read through the missionary journeys of the apostle Paul in the book of Acts, and as we read his spirit-inspired letters to the churches, it is obvious that Paul is, in fact, a great example of what it is to be a missionary church planter. But even as we learn from his example and his apostolic teaching, it is important to remember that it is not Paul who, we, who is to be our ultimate example. Paul is not looking for others to become merely followers of Paul, but rather followers of Jesus Christ. In his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul sharply scolded those who found their identity as followers of Paul or of other servants of God. 1 Corinthians 1.13, he said, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And, of course, the answer is, no, of course not. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. Only as followers of Christ are we called to follow his example. The issue is not merely be like Paul. Absolutely not. We are to be like Christ, and we are to be like Jesus, and that happens through the transformation of our lives by the power of the gospel, which conforms us into the image of Christ. Understanding that, however, there are some great things we can learn from what Paul's ministry as a follower of Jesus was, written here in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So there's three primary things that I want us to observe this morning as we work through these first six verses of Romans chapter 1. And, and Paul starts out his letter. He speaks to, about this messenger in missions here in verse 1. He starts out his letter giving pretty much what is his standard greeting from Paul to the church, grace and peace to all of you. But we see here in Romans, like in other places, we see this greeting, but, but we, we need to catch what he's saying here combined again with also what he says in verse 7, where he says, Paul, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, here in his letter to the Romans, after stating his name, Paul goes on in verses 1 through 6 to describe himself and the ministry of the gospel to which he has been called. 
And it is an almost a parenthetical phrase-like description tucked away in the middle of a greeting that we'll be focusing our attention this morning. What are the three descriptions that Paul uses in this verse of himself that will help us better understand the man who is called to be a messenger of missions? So in verse 1, we're going to look at this messenger of messenger in missions. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart by the gospel of God. So, so this messenger in missions is, first of all, submissive to the master. Submissive to the master. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. The, the messenger in missions, which is in one sense also includes every single one of us because we have all been called to proclaim the gospel, is to be a servant. The term translated servant here, sometimes translated bond servant, could just as accurately be translated slave. We who were once prisoners, once enslaved to sin, have been set free from the bondage of sin to now serve a new master. We are free in Christ, but not free to live our, li live our lives however we want, but rather free from sinful desires of the flesh and transferred into the kingdom of, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. No longer enslaved to sin, Romans 6, verse 6. Set free from sin, Romans 6, verse 7. Romans 6, 17 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Sin no longer reigns over us because we have a new master. And we are now free to submit under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, verses 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the messenger in missions is first of all submissive to the master, but secondly, selected for a mission. He's called to be an apostle. Now we understand that in Paul's specific case, he was called by the resurrected Lord Jesus personally on the road to Damascus, and that he was called to be an apostle that that calling to the apostolic office in the more specific sense in which the word is referring to those 13 men, the 12 disciples, including then Matthias, who was selected to replace Judas Iscariot in Acts chapter 1, and then the apostle Paul, who described himself in 1 Corinthians 15.8 as to one untimely born in reference to his calling as an apostle. We understand that there are no longer men being called as apostles in that more specific and technical sense of the word as it is being used here by Paul. But he was he was a called apostle with the other apostolic uh, with the other with all the apostolic authority granted to him by the Lord as an apostle just like the other 12. We no longer have living we're no longer living in the apostolic era of the church age. There are no new apostles, although there, there are some who claim to be new apostles in our day. But in the general sense, in the general sense, that term translated apostle carries with it the meaning of one who is sent. Someone who has been appointed and sent to carry a message to someone else. Someone who is sent on a specific mission. It is in that sense of the word, missionaries are those who are sent by Christ to carry His message. This is His mission. It is the mission to carry the message of Christ to those who will hear. So the messenger in missions is the one who has been selected for a mission. And as we consider the ministry of missions and those men who have been and will be called or selected to serve as messengers of Christ and the gospel in missions which we recognize the importance of sending men who have been called and selected by the Lord for a mission. It is the Lord who calls. 
When we speak of the Lord calling men into the gospel ministry, we recognize that there is both an internal, subjective sense of divine calling, as well as an external confirmation of that divine calling. A confirmation that the calling, that the calling by, of that calling by other mature believers who will recognize the Lord's hand upon his servant. And both are necessary. There is a passion, first of all, a passion for ministry that must first exist. It is that expiring to be a pastor spoken of in 1 Timothy 3.1. That sense of divine calling provides a necessary passion for the proclamation and, and, and of the gospel and compassion for people. The Lord calls his servant and he prepares those that he has called. You, you may have heard it said that if a man can be content doing anything else besides pastoral ministry, that he should. And that kind of talk is not meant to discourage those who may be called to pastoral ministry, but rather to help them confirm whether or not that inner desire is a real calling. And when it comes to the pastoral ministry of church planting, that is all the more true. If you add to that a foreign language, a different culture, a different lifestyle, a great distance from family and a home church that you love, if one can sense a satisfaction in doing anything else, it may very well be that they should pursue that endeavor instead of becoming a church planning pastor because ministry can at times be very difficult. And without an overwhelming sense of the Lord's calling, the temptation may come to just throw in the towel and start pursuing something else. I've met young men who sensed a love and a passion for the idea of missions, but not really the day-to-day, walk-by-faith, hard work of the ministry of missions. Maybe they heard a great motivational message from Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And so they sensed a desire to be sent without realizing that just like in the actual case of Isaiah, spelled out in the very next verses, Sometimes the ministry will involve faithfulness to proclaim God's message to a people who will refuse to hear and refuse to repent. And when times like these come, the confidence that the Lord has called may be the strongest encouragement to keep a man faithful and diligent, to press on. Knowing that because of that call, you could never be satisfied doing anything else. Just may be what is needed during the difficult days that will inevitably come into the life of the messenger in missions. And so it is that that calling or selection by the Lord also contains an external element of confirmation. We do not send people who solely have a passion for the idea of missions, but rather men who are already serving and already demonstrating in their present service the call of the Lord on their life. That call will be evidenced in the character of the man as well as in his capacities for service. A character that is mature and continually maturing in Christ. A God, and God-given capacities that are being perfected through diligent study and dedicated service. Merely crossing an international border will make no one a missionary if they're not already serving as submitted servants of the master involved in the ministry of missions right where they are. There are in fact men who make it to the mission field whose home churches would never put them on their own pastoral staff. Some have never been called. Many are unqualified because they do not meet the spiritual qualifications or do not possess the ministry capacities set forth in Scripture. But there are others who may be called, but they've never been granted the opportunity to be tested in ministry where they can receive the kind of training and the experience needed. I gotta say, what I know of this church and what we continue to hear about this church, Redemption Hill is a young church with lots of areas where people can serve and grow and be molded and shaped, and where some will one day surely be called out because they've been prepared 
to start other churches. As such a church, your church has a wonderful privilege to be in a place where men of God can have their calling tested and where they, when found genuine, can be confirmed by others so that they can be sent forth with a mission. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, verse 1. So lastly, we see concerning the messenger in missions, that he is to be one who is separated unto the message. Separated unto a message, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart or separated unto, it speaks to the idea of being consecrated or chosen for a specific purpose. It speaks to the fact that he was appointed by God as a messenger of the gospel message. In Acts 13, 2, we read concerning the sending of Paul and Barnabas from the church in Antioch on the first missionary journey that they had. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Even in Galatians 1.15, Paul speaks as having been set apart by God from his mother's womb. Set apart from birth, allowing, there, although there was much that the Lord still had to do in his life, in the life of Paul, before he would become the man of God that, need, that he needed to be in order to proclaim the message for which he had been separated unto the Lord for. So verse 1, here we see, what it says concerning the messenger in missions. One who is submissive to the master, one who is selected for a mission, one who is separated unto a message. Before we move on to the next point, let me just leave you with one brief challenge. As the Lord gives this body the privilege to be involved in the lives of men who will sense a call to serve, this body may not be ready to send somebody very, very soon, but you should be looking for those men and starting now preparing those men for the day when God will call them to be sent. As the Lord gives this body the privilege to be involved in the lives of men who will sense that call to serve as the Lord's messengers in missions. And ladies who are also willing to accept the challenge to serve as helpful companions to men who will one day serve in those capacities. With the privilege also comes responsibility. Responsibility to invest ourselves in their lives and to be used to help in their preparation for service. Every member has a role in that process as they will need to be further matured in areas of character and continually developed concerning their capacities for service. And God may be calling some of you as well. He doesn't only call the young. He doesn't only call those who sense a call as very young men and women of God. He doesn't only call those who grew up in Christian families. I already had a wife and two children even before I started attending church. God can call us from whatever stage of life we're in. And if God calls, it will require great sacrifice diligent preparation, and an ever-growing faith. But let me tell you something. He is an ever-faithful God, and we can trust Him with that process. He will prepare us. And remember that even when the cost of obedience is very high, the cost of disobedience is always higher. The next thing we need to see here as we look at this passage, the missionary lens of the Apostle Paul, is the message of missions. The last part of verse 1 on through Verse 4, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is the message of missions. It is the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done. It is the message that Paul proclaimed in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It is the good news about a righteous Savior who died to save unrighteous people in order that they might be made righteous in him. Paul will proceed through 16 chapters of this letter to the Romans, unpacking the glorious truths and the implications concerning the good news of the gospel. 
So what can we learn about the message of the gospel here in the text before us? I believe that many believers lack enthusiasm at times about sharing the gospel. They lack enthusiasm about sharing the gospel because they really do not have a strong confidence in the power of the gospel. Paul understood that the responsibility that we have as believers is to preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news. We as recipients of God's grace have an obligation to proclaim the gospel of grace to those who yet need to hear. And Paul held nothing back. He held nothing back in proclaiming the gospel because he understood the power of the gospel was in the message rather than the messenger. Sometimes people don't share the gospel because they think, I don't know, I, I don't know if I can communicate that well. I, I don't know if I can explain those. I don't know if I'll have answers for those questions. The power of the gospel is in the message, not the messenger. We just need to be obedient. If we jump down to the beginning of verse 14 of Romans chapter 1, we hear Paul declare unashamedly, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God unto salvation. Where did Paul get such confidence? Paul dedicated himself to studying and understanding the depths and the riches of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel of God. We've considered the messenger of missions, and now let us just delve into more deeply this message of missions. The message, which is the gospel. The main thing we notice here about the message of missions is that it's, we notice its singularity is distinct. Its singularity is distinct. It says, the gospel of God. The message of missions was not a gospel. The message of missions is not some good news. The message of missions is the good news of God. There is an exclusivity of the message that we proclaim. We live in a day when the message of tolerance has so permeated society that it has become unacceptable to boldly declare that it is only through Jesus, the mediator between God and man, that someone can have a right relationship with the Creator. That He and He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name under heaven but Jesus given among men by which we must be saved. There is but one message, one message of missions. We preach Christ crucified and resurrected. We do not preach a psychologized gospel of self-esteem because man's problem is not that he's basically a good person and, and feels beat down by outside circumstances. But rather, man is basically rotten to the core, possessing a sin nature, and therefore needs a Savior who has solved the problem of sin. We don't preach a social gospel that merely seeks to help people who are poor and persecuted experience a more comfortable way of life here on earth before spending an eternity in hell. No matter how much you spend to drill wells in the desert for underprivileged people, if no one stays to show them Jesus from the Word, they will not experience the everlasting forgiveness of their sins as did the woman at the well in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, 13 and 14, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
Sadly, there are many in evangelical churches today in affluent Western societies desiring to be more accepted in this pluralistic age, that, that they are seeking to broaden the narrow road and widen the narrow gate, downplaying the real problem of sin. Downplaying the real problem of sin, speaking only of what leads to human flourishing rather than what leads to holy living. We must emphasize the distinctiveness of the exclusive message that we have been called to proclaim. Not only does the message of missions have a singularity which is distinct, next thing we see here about the message of missions is that its source is divine. It is the gospel of God. When Paul speaks of the message being the gospel of God here in this text, he is not just saying that it is the good news about God. Well, it is very true that the gospel is the good news about God. The point Paul is making here is that the message is the good news that actually comes from God. To reject the message of the gospel is to reject God. The source of the message of missions is divine. The message does not originate with the one who is sent, but rather with the one who sins. The message comes from a divine source. Because at its core, man's problem is spiritual. It is not political, it is not psychological, it is not physical. Man's problem is not economic, emotional, or educational. Man is spiritually dead, needing spiritual regeneration. He must be born from above. He needs the message whose source is divine. And next we see concerning the message of missions that its story has been declared. Its story has been declared. The gospel of God, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel story has been declared through the pages of the Bible. Concerning the story which has been declared, it is first of all securely promised. He promised beforehand through the prophets, through his prophets. It is the gospel of God, and our text says, he, God himself, promised this message beforehand through his prophets. Because its source is divine and God himself has promised, we can most assuredly trust in the message of the gospel. And we can trust in the message of the gospel to accomplish its purpose, the purpose for which it has been proclaimed. This verse speaks not only to the security, but also to the antiquity and the continuity of the gospel message. The message of missions is not a new message. The message of missions is the same old, old story. From as early as Genesis chapter 3, following the fall of man into sin, we have seen God's unfolding story of redemption. Genesis 3.15, I'll put into enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring or your seed and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From the seed of the woman would one day come the Savior. We love to tell the story, the same old, old gospel story of Jesus and his love. Not only do we see the antiquity of the gospel, but also the continuity of the same unfolding message of the gospel of God that would continue through the Old Covenant or the Old Testament into the New. There was not one gospel message for the people of the Old Testament and another for the people of the New Testament. I, I hear this sometimes, as even from Christians, who think that the Old Testament people of Israel were saved by works, and, and now the New Testament church age believers are saved by grace. As if God had a plan for sinners by works, and well, oops, that, that didn't work out. So, so now he's moved on to plan B. Anyone who has ever been saved from their sin has been saved by grace through faith in our Lord. The entire sacrificial system foreshadowed the ministry of the Messiah who was prophesied in the Old Testament and presented in more detail in the New. And the old and only, the only obedience that ever brought glory to God was obedience by faith. It is an old story. Its story has been declared. 
securely promised and scripturally proclaimed. The gospel of God he promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures. We've reached Christ from the pages of the Bible. How will the lost and dying world know of their need for a Savior? How will the rebellious minds and hearts of our neighbors and friends become changed concerning Jesus? They must see Jesus as He is, as He is revealed to us through the pages of Scripture. Romans 10, 17, So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God uses that word, the word that He inspired to open spiritually blinded eyes to accurately see the irresistible Christ, Jesus our Lord. Oh, but now we live in a postmodern age where it is more cool to sit around and let each person espouse their own opinions about their own views concerning God and man where doubt is worn as a badge of honor of so-called humility, and where it is not cool to speak authoritatively about anything, especially from an old, old book like the Bible. Okay, so I'm not sure that cool is even a good word to use anymore. But I trust you'll forgive me for that because uh, the English language changes pretty rapidly, and it's been a while since we've lived where that's used. But regardless whether or not I even know the latest word for it, I am sure that this missionary pastor, like your pastor, will always be found to be uncool as they come because, because we are going to remain committed to authoritatively proclaiming the word of Jesus as it has been, as it is, as it always will be, unchangingly revealed by the spirit of holiness from the pages of this sacred book. This is the message of missions. The gospel of God, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The message of missions, the gospel. The next thing we notice about the message of missions is that its subject is beyond description. The gospel of God, he, has, he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son concerning His Son. The Gospel of God concerning His Son. Will you let that just sink in for a moment? The Gospel of God concerning His Son. Central to the Gospel message of missions is Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all about Jesus. The Gospel is not a plan, but a person. Jesus the God-man. The divine Creator God who took on human flesh of His creation in order that He might live a sinless life and die a sacrificial death in order that He might pay the penalty of sin for those who would come to trust in Him. We use words like amazing, magnificent, but the truth is He is far too glorious to describe with, with, with these kinds of words, more marvelous than we can really fully grasp in our minds. The message of missions is the gospel whose source is God concerning His Son who was, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. 100% God and 100% man. Concerning His Sonship, Son of God and Son of David, Eternal Son of the living God who is born in the city of David. Luke 2, 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is the subject and the substance of the gospel. First we see His humanity. As His earthly life and sonship, He descended from David according to the flesh. He is in fact the promised Messiah that came according to the lineage of David. Luke 1.32, he, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Our text also points not only to his humanity, but to his deity. And was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. He was marked out to be the Son of God. In power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. 
Already it was mentioned that in this message of, of the gospel of God that it concerns His Son, the eternal Son of God. And here, without taking time to completely unpack and explain the details, let me just say that the title Son of God here may speak more to a continuation of, of Christ's messianic role because of the way that corresponding title has been used throughout the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament. But, but having said that, however, just as Christ's coming as son or seed of David, according to the flesh, or per pertaining to his earthly life, spoke of his humanity, it also em emphasizing the incarnation of the Son, him being marked out as the Son of God, even with that title referring again to his messianic position, the phrase, in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, most definitely speaks to his deity. The deity of Christ as the one whose name is highly exalted above all names by the Father. Philippians 2, 5-11, through 11, speaking of the incarnation and exaltation of Jesus, have this mind among yourselves, which also is in Christ Jesus, who, through, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the message of missions. This is the message of the gospel that we have all been called to proclaim. He is the subject and substance of the gospel. We preach Him, God in human flesh, exalted on high. So let me ask, are you doing that? Are you proclaiming Him? You know, I hear sometimes Folks talking about how, how, how great it was that they were able to get in a little God talk in their conversations. And of course, we do need to talk about God. No doubt about that. But sometimes when, it seems that Christians can feel really satisfied if they just muster up enough courage to slip in a little statement like, God is good. Or thank God. Thank God it didn't rain out the baseball game. And while it is great to acknowledge, and we should acknowledge God's goodness and be ever thankful for all that He does, we, we do need to realize that most of our coworkers and our neighbors, you know, simply hearing the mention of God slipped into conver casual conversation like that likely will not cause them to truly reflect upon God who, is, who has sovereignly created and sustains the world that they live in. It probably won't point them to the truth any more than hearing themselves or others slip the word God followed by a cuss word out of their mouths in times of frustration. I live in a culture where I constantly hear, Dios te bendiga, God bless you, meaning no more than have a great day. Or, si Dios quiere, which means if God wills. But these phrases have become so much a part of the common culture that you can hear them roll off the tongue of people who would never acknowledge the Lord's actual sovereign control over all things through His acts of providence. I guess you could say it's kind of like ungodly politicians constantly saying, God bless America. That kind of God talk seldom offends because so many use words without any real acknowledgement of the one true living God. And that kind of so-called God talk will never really point your neighbor to Christ. We need to be willing to openly talk to others about Jesus as Lord. Does talking about Jesus as Lord to others, does the thought of that make you a little squeamish? You think, well, I mean, pastor... I'm not sure how my coworkers would react or what they would say if I so boldly talked about Jesus as Lord. And what you mean to say is, I'm pretty comfortable talking about God in a very general sense. 
that doesn't affect or offend anyone's sensibilities. But because I, I don't want folks to think that I'm some kind of Jesus freak. Are you maybe a little ashamed of Jesus? Remember what we read in Philippians 2? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Those you talk to will either come to exalt Jesus, the name of Jesus, as fellow worshipers of the King, or they will one day acknowledge Him as their rightful judge at the great white throne judgment. When they hear the reading of their sentence of death, and being thrown before being thrown into the lake of fire. They need to know Jesus. Not just some vague notion of God. Any God. They need to know Jesus Christ our Lord. You know if you're not sharing the gospel. It is possible that one reason for that may just be. That you really haven't come to know and love Jesus in a deep and meaningful way. I'm not saying that if you're not actively sharing the gospel, you're probably not even saved. Well, obviously, that could be one reason. But what I'm trying to say here is that we need to develop an ever-deepening knowledge of Jesus. We not only need, that will drive us not only to want to praise Him, but will drive us to want others to praise Him as well. He deserves that praise. So we want to multiply the praise and the exaltation of Jesus Christ our Lord. Just memorizing some canned presentation of the gospel isn't going to be enough to motivate you to open your mouth. Just knowing that it is your responsibility, your obligation, as Paul states in verse 14, may cause you to feel guilty when you don't share the gospel. It may cause you to feel guilty concerning your disobedience to Christ. But the idol of feeling comfortable may still be too strong. But let me tell you something. If that is the case, when you repent of your self-worship and experience the grace-filled forgiveness of our Lord, that will motivate you. That will motivate you. Being deeply in love with Jesus and having a relationship which continues to grow day by day because you spend time getting to know Him better as He is revealed in His Word. That growing desire, that wanting to be, that wanting to be worshipped by others, that just may slip away because you want others to worship Jesus. And no longer wanting to slip a little God talk into your conversation will be enough. You'll want to tell others about Jesus, our Lord. The gospel of God concerning His Son, Jesus the God-man. Mediator, reconciling man to His Maker. The message of missions, its subject is beyond description. We've talked about His humanity, His deity. Now let's talk just a little more about His identity. While so infinite that we cannot fully describe Him, we are given here in the text three words that will help us grasp a little more concerning the person that we are to proclaim. His identity, the gospel of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus. Jesus means Savior, the Lord who is salvation. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21 Christ, Spirit-anointed one, the long-awaited promised Messiah, empowered by, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit on high. Lord, Sovereign. One who exercises supernatural authority over everything. This has been the confession of believers throughout the ages. Jesus is Lord. And our Lord reigns. As we read Philippians 2, one day all will recognize His Lordship, whether as their Savior or as their judge, who declares their final sentence. Let me just encourage you with this. The more you know Jesus the more you will desire others to know Him. The more you worship Jesus, the more you will want Him to be worshipped by others as well. So open your Bible and spend time with Jesus. Paul desired to continually deepen his knowledge of Jesus. We see this in Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord. And he went on to say in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of, the resur of his resurrection. So do you truly know Jesus? Are you deepening your knowledge of him day by day? So far we looked at the messenger in missions and the message of missions. Now let us consider the mission of missions. What is the mission of missions? We talk about missions. What is the mission? The mission of missions. We see in verses 5 through 6, the gospel of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. There are five things here in our text that I want us to see concerning the mission of missions. So we're going to have to move really quickly. First of all, the provision for the mission. The provision for the mission through whom we have received grace and apostleship. The mission of the mission is all about grace. It's all about grace. We are saved by grace. We serve by grace. By God's grace, we are empowered to proclaim the message which can only be received by grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. And what a blessed privilege it is to have the opportunity graciously given to us to proclaim the gospel. To, to be channels of God's grace to sinners through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Well, again, we, we understand that Paul and the twelve are, are the only ones who, by God's grace, were called to the apostolic office and empowered with apostolic gifts. But in, in the more general sense of the word, we too have become sent ones. We are the sent ones. Sent as messengers to proclaim the message of Christ, who is the subject and substance of the gospel. Jesus Christ, God who took on human flesh, born of a virgin, lived a sinful life, died a sacrificial death, paid for the sins of the chosen, and rose from the grave and ascended on high. So do you know the message? Are you serving as a messenger of the message? We see also the imperative, the imperative of the mission. To bring about the obedience of faith. In one sense, it is an invitation. There is an invitation associated with the gospel. All are invited to come. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The gospel is offered freely, but there is also an expectation that you should respond to the gospel. Yes, there is an aspect of invitation, yet the presentation of the gospel is so much more than a mere invitation. The message of the gospel is presented in the imperative. We are told to come. There is a command concerning the message. It is a demand, the demand of the gospel. By grace we are sent to bring about the obedience of faith. As you read Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, Jesus was proclaiming the gospel and saying, Repent and believe the gospel. And when the Lord says we should do something, we re the required response is obedience. And where there is no obedience, there is no faith. Faith involves an act of the will, actively placing your faith in Jesus, trusting Him with your life, and submitting to Him and His Lordship. There is a transfer of allegiance, a change of masters, no longer enslaved to sin, serving self, but now free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 6 of Romans, in the flow of Paul's argument for the righteousness of God in saving unrighteous sinners because of what Christ has done, he speaks of this change of allegiance to a new master. Verse 16 of chapter 6, do you not know, as to say, can you not draw this very obvious conclusion? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So the question must be, 
Who is your master? Who is your master? Are you a slave to sin or a slave to the Savior? Are you really not sure? Well, let me help you discover the answer to that question with another question. Do you obey? Do you obey? Are you someone who was once a slave to sin, but now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching from here in the word of Christ? What is your response to Jesus? Do you obey his word and submit to his will? Who is your master? Are you willing to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ? So that is the imperative of the mission of missions, the demand of the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith. Next, we see the purpose, the purpose of the mission of missions. Above all else, why do we do what we do? By God's grace, we, as a a local church, send messengers, And, and you received one of those messengers, and this church is being raised up to send messengers. To proclaim a message, the message, the gospel of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. For the sake of His name. Let me say it again. It's all about Jesus. It's all about multiplying the exaltation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are His messengers, and we proclaim His message. We proclaim Jesus for the supreme purpose of multiplying the praise of Jesus, the praise of His name. By the authority of Jesus Christ, we are about the business of making disciples of all the nations, baptizing those that He saves, and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. This is the ministry of reproduction. The reproduction of God-glorifying, believer-edifying, lost-evangelizing local churches for the sake of the name of Jesus our Lord. We exalt Christ and we call others to join us in the exaltation of Christ. We go into the highways and the byways gathering worshipers for our King. And where specifically do we go? Well, the text answers that question. Let's see. Next we'll talk about the place. The place of the mission of missions. This answers the question concerning how far does the reach of the gospel of God extend? The gospel of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, from whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Among all the nations, the place of the mission in the ministry of missions is the entire world. We go forth to gather worshipers of Jesus from among all the nations of the earth. As Paul exclaimed a few verses later, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Christ's kingdom shall be populated with people from every single tribe and tongue, together exalting the name of Jesus. I wish we had time to look at some other verses, but we don't, just to catch this concept, this glorious concept, but we're going to move on. Verse 5, the promise of the mission of missions. Number 5, speaking of this mission of missions, uh, we have been called, called and sent to proclaim the gospel of God concerning His Son, Jesus our Lord, to, to, to bring people the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. And notice what Paul says next. To those believers in Rome, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. As we, as we go forth proclaiming the gospel to everyone in every place, knowing that all have sinned and deserve to spend an eternity in hell, experiencing the very wrath of a holy God, we go with the confidence that He has scattered His elect among the nations throughout the whole world. We have this confidence that while all like sheep have gone astray, rebelling against their Creator, pressing headlong towards hell, that we, the hell that we all deserve, God in eternity past, in an act of His own sovereign will, chose, to be, chose some to be the recipients of His grace and of His mercy. He didn't have to save any. He didn't have to call any. But He chose to save some. And Jesus went to the cross dying. 
in their place to accomplish the atonement for their sins and all who were chosen by the Father and given to the Son to be His inheritance will by the power of the Holy Spirit be brought to faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God has guaranteed the success of the mission. He's guaranteed the success of the mission. And God always keeps His word. As did Jesus before us, we freely proclaim the gospel, calling upon all men to repent and believe, knowing with full confidence that there is also an effectual call of the gospel, which will triumph in the hearts of those for which it was intended. And notice that this verse, the verse says, including you, including you who are the called to belong to Christ to Jesus Christ, among, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. We sow the seed of the gospel everywhere, leaving the results to God. The God who will bring forth the fruit of the gospel in the lives of those He has sovereignly chosen to be the recipients of His gracious and merciful love. We have this confidence. The promise of the mission is that God will accomplish what He has set out to do. Christ will get His bride, His inheritance promised to Him by the Father. And Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ will build His church. But He has chosen to do that through the proclamation of the gospel message. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we must proclaim the message of the gospel because there is a salvation. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 It's all about Jesus. It's always been all about Jesus, going forth, gathering worshipers for our Lord. So will you keep praying for the messengers of missions? Sacrificing so the message of missions can be proclaimed at home, here in Lawrence, and around the world. So that the mission of missions gets accomplished for the sake of the name of Jesus. And if you've never come to the obedience of faith in Jesus this message is for you. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. All right, now, I know that I've probably gone well past my allotted time. But before I sit down, I uh, have a burden on my heart. I feel the need to just say one more thing. Thank Pastor J.D. for uh, allowing me to be in this place and proclaim this message. And, and I don't want to abuse the opportunity to be in this pulpit. But as, as a church planning pastor, someone who has been called and sent as a messenger of missions, like your pastor, I've experienced both the wonderful blessings and the unique challenges that are found in the lives and ministries of most church planning pastors and those kind of pastoral families who, who leave one church family to be used in the process of starting a new one and then shepherding a young and growing and in so many ways yet maturing church family. You are a very blessed church family. And you've been very blessed with an exceptionally gifted and dedicated pastor. Pastor J.D. possesses wisdom far beyond his years because of his diligence in studying the eternal wisdom of the Word of Christ. Like, like me, Pastor J.D. has also been blessed with a wonderful wife who serves beside him. Blessing his church in many ways, but especially in caring for the church's pastor. From experience, we know that it is a labor of love for the body that doesn't come without great sacrifice and unique challenges. And I don't pretend to know exactly what they face. And you know them, they would be reluctant to share whatever they may face because they love Christ and love His church and, and wouldn't want uh, to be a burden and, and share those things. But as, as a church planning pastor and having 
served the Lord for many years in that type of ministry, I know, I know theirs is a willing sacrifice for you and unto the Lord. And I understand that perfectly. But I also understand that as a family, they face challenges and desires as the rest of the body faces. Pastor J.D. is responsible to shepherd his wife and kids in an exemplary way. And at the same time, one day we'll give an account to God for the way he shepherded this church, these families, each one of your souls. And I know Pastor J.D. and Sarah have your love. You love their kids. So I just want to take a moment from my experience to give you a loving exhortation from the heart of another church planning pastor who loves you and loves them. When you get really busy in life, facing challenges, sometimes needing godly counsel and a loving embrace, they are always going to be there for you. Just don't forget, they also face those same challenges. Plus, some additional ones that are unique to the family of the man of God called the shepherd of your souls. You honor them and you show them respect as you should. But remember, as you hold them in high esteem, not to set them on a pedestal. They're just like you. They, they need times away, alone together, allowing others to minister to them by taking care of their kids at times. They, they need brothers and sisters in Christ who will be there beside them just to laugh, sometimes cry. People who they know are willing to challenge them if needed, but mostly just to listen without feeling like they have to have an answer or try to fix anything. Just like you and me, they need friends. And when life gets busy and even stressful, know that they are likely busier. But not too busy to enjoy a brother or a sister who makes the time just to be a friend. Make sure you take time to ask them how you can be praying for them and pray. Reach out and give Sarah a hug. Offer some times to watch their kids. And if you're able, slip a bill out of your wallet and stick it in your pastor's hand and say, do something special with your wife or with your kids. They will be blessed and you will be blessed. I'm excited about this church. I'm excited about what I see in this church and what I've heard about this church and the potential of what God's going to do with this church. So I share this just because I know you want to take care of them in practical ways as much as we want them to be taken care of. And so as a younger church, I leave you with this last challenge, just as a counsel from an older friend who loves you and has just happened to walk a little further down the path of this church planning journey that you are on. May Christ continue to be exalted in building his church here in Lawrence. And through this church, call, equip, send, and care for additional messengers in the building up of his church, all for his glory. Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you and allow your word to challenge us, exhort us and edify us, encourage us. Lord, I pray that you would use your word, that your spirit would use the word to penetrate our hearts and minds even this morning, and that throughout this week, you would continue to mold and shape us into the image of Christ. I pray for this body as we continue to pray for this church. I just pray that you would continue to bring others into your fold that you'd continue to mature men, women, children, families, and that you'd raise up men of God who will continue to lead this body for your glory, for the sake of your name, here in Lawrence and around the globe. And I pray these things for the sake of your body, but most of all, for the sake of your name, because we want you to be exalted. In Jesus' name I ask, amen.